today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. If we believe the lie that the enemy is always trying to convince us about, don't bother sharing your faith. You don't know what to say. You don't have enough time. They probably won't believe anyway. Then you are, in effect, robbing the opportunity to be used by the Lord in a wonderful way, which may simply be to plant the seed or may simply be to water the seed. And so because we don't know, just be prepared to always be that vessel that God might use to either plant or to water. It's not up to you to bring them to salvation. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Corinthians. Many believers face fears when it comes to serving God and sharing the gospel. The enemy capitalizes on this in an effort to hinder the work of God. He may tempt you to not share because you believe that if you fail to convert someone, your work is wasted. Today, Pastor Gary will remind you of the liberation that comes with knowing we are simply to be obedient, to plant seeds, and trust God will grow a person's faith. Like Paul reminded the early church, you and God's fellow workers are servants of God, vessels through whom God works to bring people to belief. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Corinthians chapters 2 and 3 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. But he says, but you as believers are looking a lot like the world because you're doing things and you're living in such a way that you mimic more of the world than you do anything else. Now, again, it sounds like an oxymoron to say a worldly Christian or a carnal Christian. And it's interesting because chapter 2 that we just read was really about worldly people and spiritual people. And then you get to chapter 3 and he's like, and there are some of you who are a little bit of both. He says, there's some overlap in some of your lives where you are these worldly brothers. You are these worldly sisters. You, you are not living distinct and clear lives in your world. You're looking too much like the world. And he says, you're like baby Christians. Now, again, remember, he left them five years ago. So what he's thinking is you should be further along than this in five years. You know, you shouldn't be doing some of these things. There shouldn't be sexual immorality. You shouldn't be suing the pants off each other. You shouldn't be getting drunk in communion. You shouldn't be abusing spiritual gifts. All this kind of stuff that they're doing. He's like, you're acting like babies. You're infants. You should be more mature than this. He says, indeed, I gave you milk, not solid food. You're not even ready for it. Okay, and this whole beautiful comparison to babies. Now, I don't know if I happen to mention this, but we have a beautiful granddaughter now. She's going through the bottle phase right now. It's just milk right now. Then as they get older, you know, you start to introduce some Gerbers. And then it mashed up soft food. And and then eventually it's steak, right? But that's way down the road. And it makes complete sense when a child is still nursing and drinking milk that they would also be in diapers. And you put them in their little high chairs and you feed them. But that's normal for a baby. What would not be normal is if you're 25 and still in a high chair wearing diapers. 
And Paul's basically saying, you people are not normal. You should be further along than this. I had to give you milk like a little baby. You should be much further along than this. And that's why he says, you're worldly. You're carnal. Because you've not gone on to maturity. In verse 4, he addresses one of their worldly things, which is this jealousy stuff that is going on, about who is more important, Paul or Apollos. And so it's this personality worship. He says in verse 4, this is the reason I had to address you as worldly. He says, for when one says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? I mean, that's what people do for rock stars. And it's this rock star worship stuff. And Paul's like, don't do this out of your spiritual leaders. And he goes on in verse 5, he says, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul himself, you know, writing this? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord is assigned to each his task. Okay, the word servants there is in the Greek diakonos, is where we get our English word deacon or minister. That's all we are. We're just vessels. We're just servants through whom you came to believe. Now, I love everybody in terms of their stage spiritually, but I have a particular soft spot for people who are baby Christians or brand new Christians and they don't know any differently. And every once in a while, after I will give an invitation for people to receive Christ, I will have people come up to me And they will say, Pastor Gary, thank you for saving me. Now, I know what they mean, but I have to gently correct them. Well, I just want you to know, I didn't save you. Okay, God saved you. I was just the vessel that God worked through to bring you to that place in Christ. It's totally innocent what they're saying, but I just have to quickly correct it because, you know, this is the exact thing that Paul's saying here. He's like, no, nothing special about Apollos, nothing special about Paul, nothing special about Gary or any of our pastors here. We're just servants of the Lord, and we're vessels through whom you came to believe as the Lord is assigned to each his task. Now, what task? Well, he goes on. Verse 6, I planted the seed. That was my task. In this case, he says, and Apollos watered it. But notice he says, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. All right, so he wants to quickly tamp down this idea that human people are the ones that are special. It's God who is special, it is God who saves, it is God who makes people grow and come to faith in Jesus Christ. Paul says, we only have these small tasks involved in this whole process. He says in his particular case here, he says, all right, I planted a seed. I spoke about the gospel. I told the story about Christ and I got people to think I planted the seed. Apollos came along after me. He said some more things and what it effectively did was to water the seed that I had planted, but only God is the one who causes it to grow. Okay, now this is liberating for every single one of us. And here's the reason why, not just because I'm a pastor. This is liberating for every single one of us. And here's the reason. Because all of us have this wonderful responsibility and opportunity to share our faith with whomever God puts along our path at whatever the right time and whatever right appointment. And God will give you the right words. And we have this wonderful privilege of sharing our faith, okay? But you know why a lot of people are hesitant to share their faith? is because they feel like, unless I can close the deal from A to Z, I might as well not even share it all. And the enemy loves to convince us that you might as well not even open your mouth at all because you're sitting on a on metro with somebody. The next stop is in about 10 minutes. I'm not even going to get through the whole gospel presentation in 10 minutes with this person sitting next to me. So why even bother? 
all right? And the reason you should bother is because it may only be your role is to plant the seed. That might be the only reason you're sitting next to that person is because there's a providential appointment and all you're supposed to do is plant the seed. It's not up to you to, quote, close the deal. No one of us can ever get someone saved. That's God's work. But our work is to plant the seed and to water it and then let God give the increase. And I'm convinced having the wonderful privilege of giving invitations and seeing people come to faith in Christ, all I'm doing is watering what somebody else has already planted and God is then bringing the increase. And you don't know if but that your five minutes with someone is to plant it or to water it. None of us knows. Think about your coworkers for a minute. Think about your neighbors. Think about people that you know. You don't know, but that God has already put other people along their path with the same news about Jesus Christ, and that your responsibility is just to come along now and water that. If we believe the lie, Satan is a liar and the father of lies, okay? So if we believe the lie that the enemy is always trying to convince us about, don't bother sharing your faith. You don't know what to say. You don't have enough time. They probably won't believe anyway then you are, in effect, robbing the opportunity to be used by the Lord in a wonderful way, which may simply be to plant the seed or may simply be to water the seed. And so because we don't know, just be prepared to always be that vessel that God might use to either plant or to water. It's not up to you to bring them to salvation. That's the work of God. But we need to be planters or waterers because God is the grower. We all need to be looking for opportunities and for these divine appointments. Why is that person sitting next to you on that plane? Why is that person now in the cubicle next to you? Why did that person and that family move across the street from you? Yeah, I think we should always be looking with eyes of intention that God may very well be orchestrating things and bringing people along our path so that we can be, just like Paul says here, vessels that God would use. And because we never know, we should just be faithful to do our little part. Maybe plant, maybe water. But God will give the increase. So no special favor about people or personalities, no rock stars in the church, no glorification of people or human beings. Paul really addresses this. He goes, this is part of the reason why you guys are worldly in the church at Corinth. Because you're treating people and putting them on pedestals and making too much out of the people. It's about the Lord. And it's about the Lord simply using people as vessels. I heard Pastor Chuck say years ago before he went home to be with the Lord, he said in his wonderful voice, you know, if you were going in for surgery and they had to cut you open to do wonderful surgery, that you might be saved. And the surgeon in his great skill or her great skill took the scalpel and then did their wonderful surgical work to save your life. When you were done and you had recovered, would you thank the surgeon or the scalpel? I had to stop and think about that, yeah. Because, in effect, when we lead people to Christ or we're just trying to plant and water, we're just the scalpel. We're just the vessel. We're just the tool that God is using. But he's the ultimate surgeon of the human heart. And he's the one who gets the glory. He's the one who does his work. So he says in verse 10, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder. And someone else is building on it. Okay, again, he's referring to the fact I planted this church five years ago, but I've left now. Someone else is building on it. I laid the foundation. He says, but each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Okay, folks, this is a clear verse to remind us the foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. 
The church better be built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Our faith needs to be built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. The foundation is Jesus. And he says, if any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is. Because the day, in other words, the day of judgment, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. So he's talking here about the church in general. It may very well translate to our lives in particular. He talks about gold, silver, costly stones. Costly stones, by the way, he's not talking about jewels, but he's talking about fine material like marble and granite. And then wood, hay, and straw. So it's this picture of, you wouldn't build a structure, a temple, with alternating materials of marble, and then wood, and then gold, and then straw. He says, if you build something like that, it will show what it's really made of, and it will crumble. So he's saying, don't compromise the work of God in any way. Make sure that you're building it in such a way that glorifies God, built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, because that day is going to come, and the judgment day is going to expose all this other stuff that was all man-made, man-contrived, man-centered, man-focused. So the church needs to be a church which is built on the foundation of Christ. It is God-focused. It is God-centered, not man-centered or man-focused. He said, otherwise, it's going to be exposed for what it is. He goes, you know, you might end up being saved as if escaping from the flames, but the whole work, if it was built upon this faulty wisdom or human effort or human focus, will be exposed for what it is, and it won't last. And he says in verse 16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is sacred, and you are that temple. So he says the foundation of the church needs to be Jesus Christ, but he says, you know, the real definition of the church is not the building itself, it's the people. And he says, you are the temple of God. And by the way, he's going to use that same theme into chapter 6, verse 19, when he says, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. There's something sacred about life. There's something sacred about life, and that's why he says there, he says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. Why? Because life is sacred to God. God's temple is sacred, he says, and you are that temple. He says, do not deceive yourselves if any one of you thinks, verse 18, that he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. What he's saying is, if somebody is all full of themselves and think they're all that smart, and they really know everything, then because you are so full of yourself and you think you're so smart, you're never going to really reach out and respond to the Lord. You think you're fine and you think you have everything under control. You'll only really become wise if you humble yourself and admit how much you don't know and how much you need a Savior. And that's why he adds there in verse 19, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. This whole contrast of the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of heaven. But have you ever heard things that were said by some really smart people, but because they didn't know the Lord and you know the Lord, you listen to that and you go, that is just the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And yet they're so proud of themselves because they're like, well, look at all the letters after my name and look how educated. I'll give you an example. This, I've shared this quote with you before, but this, I think, highlights it. One of the places I think the battle happens between Christians and non-Christians is in relation to the whole creation story and Genesis and evolution and all that stuff. 
Okay, that creates a lot of consternation. And the non-Christians who don't know the Lord think that Christians are absolutely stupid for thinking that God is the creator of the universe and it was all created in six days and God rested on the seventh day and we've come from that. You listen to some of the foolish things that those who support evolution believe. You just scratch your heads and go, seriously? These smart, wise people are thinking and believing this. So here's this quote from Dr. Francis Crick, who was the discoverer of the double helical shape of the DNA. And scientists have no explanation for the origin of life. So they make stuff up. Now, Dr. Crick was a Nobel Prize winning scientist who said, as a means of trying to figure out the origin of life, quote, He said, we should consider the idea that space aliens sent a rocket ship to the earth to seed it with spores to begin life. What? This is a Nobel Prize winning scientist who instead of bowing the knee and acknowledging that God is creator, that could there possibly be an intelligent designer beyond this, is quoting this and making us think that the earth was actually seeded with spores from aliens. That takes a lot of faith, doesn't it, to think that? And so then when Christians say, well, wait a minute, this whole evolution thing doesn't make sense because what you're basically saying is over long periods of time, we went from the goo to the zoo to you. That's how it all just happened. And there was just this primordial ooze that just crept out of a pond one day, and suddenly now we are all with jobs and neckties. And I don't understand that. (laughs) How does that make sense to us? But yet the world looks on at us and thinks, we're quack. But when you read stuff like that, it makes you realize... This is so ridiculous. And so the wisdom of man, the wisdom of this world, is foolishness in God's sight. I remember years ago when it was back-to-school night, and parents, you know, supposed to go to -to back-to-school night. And the one time I went, so I'm sitting in this class for one of the kids, and the teacher was talking in terms of BCE and CE, you know, before current era and current era. And I'm sitting there going, you know, I know I'm old school, but when did they stop saying BC and AD? And so, you know, B.C. before Christ, A.D. is not after death, it's Anno Domini. It's in the year of our Lord, okay? And the calendar coincides with the birth of Christ. And so that's the mark of delineation before Christ and in the year of our Lord. And so I asked the history teacher, when did they come up with this B.C.E.C.E. stuff? Well, we don't want to influence the kids with religion. I said, okay, how are we influencing the kids with religion? Well, because, you see, if we used B.C. and A.D., then it would all refer to Christ, And we don't want any reference to Christ. And I said, oh, well then, how did they figure out where BCE ends and CE begin? And so that's the reason I only went to one back-to-school night. And she looked at me and she said, well, I guess it does have to do with Christ, doesn't it? And I said, I guess it does. But it's like the wisdom of this world is ridiculous. That's just foolishness. We don't want to say B.C. and A.D., so we'll say B.C.E. and C.E., but it still has to do with the mark of delineation at the birth of Christ. And I could go on, but the point is that when Paul says here, the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight, it's stuff like that. That's the reason why. But he says in verse 19, as it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about men. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are of Christ, 
and Christ is of God. In other words, what he's saying here is, you have everything in Christ. Why do you have to squabble about men and who you think are more important? And that last part about, and you are of Christ and Christ is of God, he's basically saying, you belong to God through Christ. So stop acting like this. Why are there carnal or worldly Christians? There's only two reasons. It's either ignorance or disobedience. There's the only two reasons. Why do some Christians look more like the world than they look like Christ? It's either ignorance because they don't know any better. You know, maybe somebody became a brand new Christian and so they have to learn and they have to grow and that kind of thing takes some time. Maybe someone out of ignorance just haven't understood and maybe they haven't been taught. And so out of ignorance, some people can look a little worldly still. And so there are some legitimate reasons why people are, quote, worldly Christians or carnal Christians because they don't know any better yet. They're ignorant. All right. I'll come back and address that. Disobedience, though, has no excuse. If somebody knows better and just decides, I'm going to live like the world anyway, then there's no excuse for that. The reason why someone might be at stage number one and even stuck there as if they can't go on to maturity is basically because they have not learned to feed themselves. So I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 5, and we'll close with this. And we don't know if Paul wrote the book of Hebrews because the writer's unknown, but it sounds very similar to the language of 1 Corinthians 3. So I just want to close on this point here out of Hebrews chapter 5, and notice verses 11 through 14. And this is what the writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews 5.11. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you were slow to learn. He says, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Isn't this similar language to 1 Corinthians 3? He says, you need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, and how do you become mature? He says, who by constant use, use of what? Use of God's word, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. A circle the word trained, and in the margin, you might want to write, I'm going to give you a Greek word, it's gumnazo, G-U-M-N-A-Z-O, gumnazo. We get our English word gymnasium from that word. And here's what Paul is saying. You need to exercise your life. You need to work out spiritually. You need to stop being a worldly Christian. The way you stop being a worldly Christian is you need to get into God's word. You need to exercise your spirit. You need to go to the gym and work out. You need to get God's word in your heart and you need to continue to grow in the knowledge of the word of God because in so doing, it will grow you into spiritual maturity. And you will end up looking more like Christ when you get into the word of Christ than the world because we are to live in the world but not be of the world. And so the way, the remedy to the carnal Christian or the worldly Christian, start getting into the word of God more and more. Read it. Listen, friends, hear me on this. Don't ever... Let the extent of your Christian growth rest on weekend or midweek services. Your Christian growth needs to be because you take your Bibles, you spend time in God's Word, you get alone with Him, you pray, you seek His face, and you allow God's Word to speak to you and to grow you and to mature you to be more like Jesus. Go to the gym spiritually and allow God's Word to grow you and to make you more mature in Christ. Amen.
We hope today's message from the book of 1 Corinthians has blessed you and drawn you closer to Jesus. Pastor Gary has more to share, but this is where we need to end for today. Feel free to read ahead before you join us next time on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this message again or explore other teachings from Pastor Gary Hamrick, just visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can even download our mobile app to stay connected to the truth of God's Word everywhere you go. If you're in the Leesburg area, you're invited to join us for our weekly gatherings at Cornerstone Chapel. Come by on Sunday or Wednesday to spend time in worship, Bible study, and fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You'll be able to find service times and directions on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc or give us a call. We can be reached at 703-771-1500. And when you call, please let us know how we can be praying for you. That number again is 703-771-1500. Would you pray for us too? Please pray that we keep our eyes always on the truth of who God is and that we move forward only by His power. Thanks for praying and thanks for tuning in today. To Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul, that you've got no place to go, but still you know.